Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Pastor Dwayne asked me if I would share a message while he was out of town, and, and uh, it's the Summer Song Playlist. And then so I was reading through, and um, Psalms chapter 10 just kept coming back to me. This psalm isn't a psalm that you would say, you know, there's a lot of psalms that are just worship and praise, like really wonderful things. God, you're mighty. You lift me up. You know, all these different things. This psalm is kind of depressing, honestly. It's a little bit, um, it brings you kind of like into the, the, the fact that the world is a very broken place. Uh, it was broken back during the time that the psalmist wrote this. It's broken today. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of stuff that happens. And then it kind of goes through as the psalmist is just, just like pouring his heart out to God, right? So psalms are extremely personal if you haven't picked that up yet. They're very personal. Um, but they're not always directly applicable to us, right? So in this psalm, the psalmist is writing about enemies. You know, he's He's, he's seen that the enemy is out to get him to war and swords and all that kind of stuff. Now, I've been under pressure in my life a lot of times. I've, I'll just be honest. I've, I've been in a couple of fights. Don't tell anybody. Like, that's been a long, long time, you know, fist fights. But I've, I've never had anybody come at me with a sword and, and declare war on me, you know? So it can't be directly applicable. Like, I don't know how it feels to have somebody just charge at me with a sword trying to end my life. That's, that's never happened. Now, I remember uh, a few years ago, one of my kids, and, and whenever you speak, if you're a speaker, you got to share something embarrassing about your kids, right? But the rule is you don't say which one. <laughs> Isn't that the rule? Like, you don't say which one. Um, but a few years ago, actually a long year, quite a while ago, years ago, uh, one of my boys saw... Uh, I don't think they were a veteran, but they were flying a sign, you know, anything helps uh, veteran, and he was missing the lower part of his leg. Yeah, I don't know, it could have been diabetes, could have been a lot of different things, but the, my boy was just looking at him and he said, that guy must be a terrible sword fighter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, just the thoughts of a kid, right? And I. I just laugh. I just, you know, like, yeah, you're probably right. Probably a terrible sword fighter. Probably has nothing to do with his leg, but I don't think anybody really is good sword fighters anymore. You know, so like, as the psalmist is writing about war and, and you read about different things of this nature, uh, it's not sometimes directly applicable, but we understand like the, the pain and the suffering of being oppressed. We understand this, the life circumstances. We understand this is a broken world. We understand that people often are, are deciding to do harm to one another or do harm to somebody else. You know, you've heard that saying, like, hurt people hurt people. Uh, that, it's just a perpetual thing. So in this psalm, chapter 10, it's, it's personal. It's from a place of emotion. Often the psalms reflect the psalm's current relationship or perceived relationship with God. Like, where are they with God? Are they upset at God? Are they happy with God? Do they feel like lost? Do they feel like God's not talking to them anymore? Where is their relationship with God? You can see in the psalms as you read, if you try to really get into the context of it, you realize, like, this is from the heart. It's extremely personal, and it's talking about their relationship and how they view God interacting with them and the world around them. And sometimes it's so personal that we forget, like, we think like God is just like 
his whole only focus is on us. Like he's not talking, th- thinking about anybody else. And yet God loves us all, and he's always present. And in this psalm, it's pretty cool to see. So some songs sing praises. Others are beyond the individual. They're singing about their country or their people or their family or the people around them. They're doing all sorts of different things. Like we're living life. The point I'm trying to make is when you read the Psalms, it's everyday people like you and I singing their heart out to God based on their current circumstances. And the older we get or the older I get, I realize like my maturity and faith continues to grow. When I was really young, my faith was really young. My theology was really young. It was being formed. It's still being formed. If your theology isn't being challenged and formed on a daily basis, weekly basis, you've got to get into the Word a little bit more, challenge yourself. So my theology is continuously growing. I remember my dad, uh, my, my folks, we grew up in a small town in, in South Washington, and we had like 50 trees. Not really, but it felt like 50. And they weren't, they weren't evergreens, they were deciduous, right? The leaves fall every fall, rains all the time, near the coast, just a miserable place sometimes. And I remember my dad saying, you have to rake all these leaves. And I, I'm just, you know, our yard was kind of big. When I go back to visit, it's not that big. But when I was a kid, it was humongous, right? And, and what I could have done in probably half a day took me a week, why is that? Because I'm complaining a lot. Why do I have to rake these leaves? You know, trying to balance the rake on my nose. You know, all that kind of stuff. Just wasting time, not wanting to work, and then being mad and mad and mad and mad. Like, I should be playing basketball. I should be doing something. Why am I doing all this yard work? And I remember thinking, God, if you just love me, this is, this is the most immature theology, just, just brokenness, right? God, if you really love me, you would make this all, a, a, a dust storm come and and just rake up all these leaves for me in Jesus' name. God, you don't love me. Why aren't you fixing this for me? You ever see those dust devils? You know, those, I was just, I was just thinking like, Elijah, just dust devil, fix it, we're done, I gotta go play ball. That's not how life works, right? The scriptures say it rains on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people, vice versa. That's, that's life. We're in a broken world. This is not the way that God intended us to live. If you read Genesis, you realize that. Now, let's go to Psalms 10, verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Have you ever been in a position or circumstance in your life where you've asked God that. God, why are you, why do you feel so, why do you not care? Are you not seeing this? Are you not witnessing this? Do you not feel my pain? Why are you so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now, you know, I, I would like to stand up here and say I've never felt like that before. Or that, you know, if you're real mature, you know that God is always near you. Remember the poem of the footsteps in the sand and footprints and all that stuff. He's always there. Like, we know it. We know it. Sometimes we don't feel it. And again, psalms are a lot of times about emotions. They're about feelings. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes of his, devi- in his devices. He boasts 
about the cravings of his heart. Those wicked people. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. And, I, and that kind of, that's kind of weird, right? Always prosperous, thinking about that. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears no one will ever do me harm. And when we look at some people in this world, you know, we think like, God, why are you not putting that person in check? They, they are out of control. They're causing harm. They're, they're, doing, they're causing destruction in the lives of other people. Why, God, are you so far off? Why are you not paying attention to this? Now, if you've been in church for a while, you've read your scriptures, you've heard multiple sermons, I'm sure you realize that God is always there. He's always near. He's, he's never far off. He's always present. He's always watching. He's always concerned. But when we see certain things, we feel like, why are you not intervening? Now, as, as a minister, I get that question a lot. Why is God not there? You know, I, I feel like we see God all the time, though. We see him in so many different ways. We see him maybe prevent something bad from happening. We see him intervene. We see him also coming behind somebody, providing healing, bringing people to our aid, things of that nature. Have you ever had somebody come to your aid? They didn't even know why they were coming, but it seems like the Holy Spirit sent them. Have you ever gone to somebody's aid? Like, I was just thinking about you, and I thought, I'd call you, how are you doing? And all of a sudden you, you hear like, man, they really needed that call. Like there's, there's times when God is present, and there's times when we don't realize it because we're focused on something, whether it be, I mean, if there's somebody who was chasing me with a sword, I'd be pretty focused on them, right? That we're focused on something, and sometimes we forget that God is also focused on that same thing. He's focused on us as well. I mean, there's funny times when that happens, right? I remember years ago, my kids kind of like this story. I figure I'll throw it in here, right? Uh, years ago, one of my first jobs out of college was selling cars. Now, it was at a reputable dealership. It wasn't those where you wear the plaid suits and, you know, duct tape and all that kind of stuff. Nothing like Matilda, nothing like that. But, like, I remember like, this, this couple, they were obviously fighting. Like, they... they they were fighting, and they were fighting publicly. So they needed a car. I don't know if one of them crashed their old car. I don't know. I can't remember. But they needed a car. They were not in agreement on what kind of car they were going to have. So as a young salesman, you know, all the mature salesmen, the experienced salesman, sees this couple, and they realize, like, yeah, they're not going to buy nothing. Hey, Paul, look, there's a customer up there. Oh, my God, I'm going to make some money. And I go, right? Like the immature person. And, and I start working with this couple, and they, they are yelling at each other. They're yelling at me, car, truck, SUV, whatever. And, like, it's on a Saturday. It's like an hour and a half I'm spending with this, this, these, I'll just say it, these terrible people. They're acting terrible at the moment. And people, the other salesmen are selling cars around me and, you know, making fun of me. Good friends, right? No, no they, they end up being good friends. But I remember just thinking, like, God, I need to get out of this. I need to, these people are bugging me. And, and in the south, in Texas, there's these birds called grackles. You ever, anybody heard of a grackle? Yeah, they're, they're blackbirds. They're blackbird family. They're smaller. They're mischievous. They're like weird. They got beady eyes and they stare at you. And then when they flock around, they're always like causing trouble. Well, 
on that Saturday, there was a flock of grackles flying around, and I, I just was sitting there, leaning up against the car, just exhausted at the emotional toll that was happening. And this couple fighting, fighting, making fun, you know, just like all stars. And I thought, Jesus, just, will you just help me get out of this? I didn't make money. Young married. I got bills. I got pressure. They're going to take all my time. They're not going to buy anything. God, I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be a good witness, you know, not cussing, all that kind of stuff. Like, God, will you just help me? And then this grackle flock flying over, and one just pooped right across this lady's face. <laughs> like, I promise you, as soon as the prayer finished, in my mind, splat. And she just shut up. She looks up, and she just starts walking away. The, the husband, who was beat down too, gets in the car, and they drive off. And I thought, Jesus, you are. You are alive. You intervene on our behalf. You heard the song, the psalm of my heart, and you brought your beasts of the air to relieve me from the toils of this world. And at that moment, I knew, man, I chose the best God, you know? There's like humor. Now, I don't know. I don't know, but it was, it was a little bit more than coincidental, right? Have you ever had that before? Now, we can laugh at that because we, we know like those things like... It seems funny, but in the moment, it was a big deal to me. In the moment, it was a big deal, and that was funny. It's so funny. My little girl likes me to tell that story all the time, but in the circumstance, it wasn't funny. Now, looking back, that wasn't a big deal. That wasn't a big weight. It wasn't a big burden. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an awful time, but sometimes we witness awful things, and in this world, there is often awful times that happen. In the next slide, I, in ministry, I've been in, in service ministry for a long time now, whether it be working with people that struggle with chronic homelessness, addiction, abuse, like lots of trauma in their past. I work with staff members, a leading organization where they're out visiting kids all the time. They're working with teenagers that have aged out of the foster care system, like trying to find them apartments and get them graduated from high school. This last graduation season, we had 12, 12 high school graduates that had no family attend their graduation party. It's statistically, none of them should have graduated high school. But the people on the team, they love, they go out, they witness, they, they share about the word, they encourage, and they graduated. And I, I find that amazing. But statistically, too many families are hurting and isolated, right? In the child welfare system, it's, it's just never meant to replace family. Like the government doesn't raise, good, good, doesn't raise kids very well. Families do. And so part of the work that I do is reading reports and hearing about different stories. And oftentimes, it gets to be a lot. Right? You hear about things, and I've got to make decisions and help the team make decisions. Life, long decisions that involve the life of a kid. It's, it's, it's difficult. And you see, like, God, where are you sometimes? What are you doing 
You know, 60% of children that age out of the system are homeless within the first year, and 60% of children who are trafficked come from child welfare system. And you think about things like that. You see things like that. You hear about child abuse. You, you hear about domestic violence. And, and if it's not in your family, in your close family circle, it's, it's hard to comprehend the amount of abuse and wickedness that's in this world. And sometimes I just think, like, God, where, where were you? Where are you? Why are you not intervening? As the psalmist continues on in verse 8, he's still speaking of the wicked. He says, he lies in wait near the villages. We see the harm that people inflict on the innocent. We see what abuse does to children in our society. And like the psalmist, we may cry out to God to intercede. He lies in wait near the villages from ambush. He murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies to wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. Now, at this point, I think he's kind of pivoted a little bit from people to the spiritual enemy. From, from individuals causing harm to like this, this spiritual battle that, that the world is in, that we are in, that, that the apostles in the New Testament talks about. You know, we don't war against flesh and blood. We, we war against spiritual beings. We war against spiritual warfare, right? Now, I'm not one. You know, if there's feedback that happens in my mic, I don't think that's a demon. I think that's just technology, right? It's fun, and it's frustrating, but there is wickedness in this world. And so the psalmist is, I think he's processing. He's processing. I, I've heard times, and maybe you have, that there are people who talk to think. In other words, they're, they're talking and they're thinking at the same time. So sometimes you have to, if you've got a boss like that, sometimes you have to say, are we, are we making decisions or are you just talking right now? Like, is, what are you doing? Are you vision casting or are you just thinking out loud to me? I need to know what to do. And then there are those that think before they talk. And I think in this psalm, he's, he's talking, he's singing, and he's thinking at the same time. His soul is crying out. Like, God, where are you? There's this wickedness. And then he pivots from just humankind to the spiritual world and realizing that evil comes from a very, very evil place, Right? And that God intervening can help us to make good decisions. In my work, I talk to a lot of people, a lot of young people, old people, it doesn't matter, that wonder the same thing as the psalmist. Like, where is God? Where is God? And I've learned this. This isn't for me. I learned this from a pastor that I was under for a long time when I was younger. He would say to people, if you want to know if God is real, listen to him. And people say, I try to talk to God all the time, and, and, and he never speaks to me, he never speaks to me. And every once in a while, I have this amazing opportunity. You know, you find yourselves in these moments where you realize that God is, is, is bringing somebody into your path. There's this, there's this crossroad, this moment, this divine moment where you can say something and really impact somebody, or you can do something and help them change their life, or you can intercede in a way and change the course of their, of their, their heart, their spiritual direction. And I, 
Every once in a while, I have the opportunity to do that. Somebody will say, how do I know that God is real? And I learned this from a pastor, and, and so I would say, I'll say to them, well, tell me about the times that it could have went way worse than it didn't. Tell me about times when somebody kind of interceded in your life or was there at the right time at the right place. Tell me about the times where you were at the right place at the right time, and there's no way that can be a coincidence. And all of us have that. But when people have been abused, when they've really had torment in their life, they can also say, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. And why wasn't God there? You see, there's this like a very deep and internal battle sometimes between knowing that God is there and feeling like he's not there and wondering why he doesn't act sometimes. So I'll tell them, I'll say, I believe that God is the creator. You can go anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. It just, follow me for a second here. You can go anywhere in the world, and there are these laws that mankind follows. You just do. You don't steal from people. Like, people steal. Like, I'm not saying that's not thieves, but you go to any society, anywhere, Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. You don't steal. Like, property is a big deal. Even thieves don't steal from thieves, right? So if you decide to steal, it's wrong. You know it's wrong. You're doing an act that's wrong. But you go to any society, anywhere, whether they know of the Bible or not, stealing is just universally wrong. Another thing is you don't hurt kids. Whether the society knows of God, has the Bible in the language, it doesn't matter. You don't hurt kids. It's a universal thing. And then also, everybody has a conscience. Have you ever thought of that? Like, everybody has a conscience. And I believe that our conscience, conscience is the most base way that God talks to us. A moral compass. What is right, what is not. The more we listen to it, the stronger that voice becomes and the more in tune we are, and the more that we can see that it's from the Creator, it's, it's within us, the Holy Spirit speaking. The more we don't listen to it, the harder and harder and harder it is to hear the voice of God. The further we walk away from it, the, the more wicked deeds that we do, it's a slippery, very slippery slope. So I'll tell them, I'll say, do you really want to hear God? Do you really want to know if He loves you? I'll say, yeah. And I'll say, then... Talk to him. Now, sometimes I'll say, you know, repeat a prayer after me. Sometimes I'll just say, share what's on your heart, like the Psalms. Just, just share. And they'll share. I've heard some stuff, like I've heard somebody extremely mad at God and just like telling stuff and what happened to them or, or, or how God failed them. And then as they're finishing, I'll say, now just, just Listen. Let's just be quiet for a moment. And just ask God, do you love me? And just be quiet. And almost every time, people, they'll just be quiet. And, and you know, silence can be really awkward. But if you allow sil silence to be there, the, you can hear, you can hear better. You pay attention. I say, just 
What's God saying to you? Just listen. And we'll be quiet. Sometimes it takes 15 seconds. Sometimes it takes a couple minutes. But I'll always let that person be the one to break the silence. And oftentimes, when people have gone through the worst of the worst and experienced pain that nobody should ever experience, they hear the voice of God and they begin to cry. They begin to weep. Because God is not far off. Sometimes we just don't take time to listen. And I find that to be a very beautiful thing. That no matter where I go, where you go, where we go, we know that God is there. And that he will still speak to us if we're listening. And the psalmist, right, he's like, all of this stuff in this world. And God, why are you not here? Why are you allowing the wicked people, the enemy, to crush innocent victims? You see the wicked man, he says to himself, God, he'll never notice. He covers his face and never sees. And in verse 12, it says, Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. I, I tend to think, and you can read the psalm and, and read into the context and between the lines, but I tend to think that the psalmist is beginning the psalm about himself and about what's happening in his life. And then he realizes, no, wickedness is everywhere. And then he begins to, to not focus on his own circumstance, but focuses on the circumstance of the world and realizes that it's not just me going through a difficult time. It's not just me facing the enemy. The world is facing it. People, innocent children, all these people are facing the enemy. And God, will you not arise? Arise, God. A few years ago, I was working at a shelter downtown, um, a, a youth shelter. And this young man came in, and he was beat up. <clears throat> like, beat up. He was a young adult. I think he was, I think he was 19. And he had a terrible night. And he came in, and I thought, I need to call the police. And he said, no, I'll leave if you do. And so we, I got him kind of safe and situated and, and just cared for him, right? I, I feel like, honestly, that I was there at the right time at the right place for this particular young man. And I was talking to him just, you know, when he woke up, just talking to him about normal life and what he's doing. And conversations started happening about his own childhood. And, and I realized, like, he began to tell me he was adopted and, the people that adopted him were Christians, and they abused him very, very, very badly, right? And so he had every reason, to me, to be angry at God and, and turn his face away and say, you're never there, and all these things. And I began talking with him, and he just, I don't know, the next day he came in, and we talked again. You see, that's, that's how relationships actually happen. You've got to talk to somebody follow up with him a little bit. Sometimes you got to like interact and ask questions, right? So I'm asking him questions and he's interacting and he says, why do you, you think God even cares about me? You think God even cares about me? And it was a lot like this psalm. I said, of course he does. Let's, let's pray. So I take him through that process and he says, you know, afterwards, there are lots of tears, lots of stuff, right? And so I take him to a recovery program, I get him there, 
And he says, he says to me, though, you got to trick people sometimes, right? Sneaky Jesus. So, <laughs> is that okay to say? Like, that's not heretical, is it? Like, sometimes Jesus is sneaky. So, I say, I'll just take you and you can do a tour. Leave your stuff here, because he didn't want to get all his stuff at different places. And I said, I'll just take you over there and we'll do a tour. I'll bring you back, get in my truck. So we go, we, we go to the place, give him a tour, and the, the case manager that does the intake is there, and the case manager says, what are we doing? I says, hey, let's just pretend like we're doing an intake so my young friend here can feel what that feels like so he doesn't get scared. So he asks some questions. The, the guy answers questions. He gives him all the information, and then... And then I said, well, what do you think about the tour? Do you think you would like to go to a place like this? And he says, yes. And the intake case manager says, we, well, we would probably accept him if he went through the, the interview process. And then I, I said, well, we kind of, we did, didn't we? He says, no, we, we were just pretending. And I said, but, but the paperwork, that's real paperwork. That's not pretend paperwork. This is a real conversation. Is there any reason why he can't just join up right now? He says, no. So guess what? He thought he was doing a tour, but he's joined up. I say, I'll be back with your stuff. I go back, get his stuff, bring him back in. He stayed there. He, he graduated. Gave his life to Jesus. Now, well, thank you. Now, does he have a lot of stuff to work through? Oh, absolutely he does. Did he have ups and downs? Did he try to run away one time and I had to find him? Yes, all of that. All of that. But God is there. So the psalmist says, Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. In verse 14, But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. You see, God is just always present. Whether we recognize him as being there, he's still there. Whether we recognize that people that are in our lives are there because he's provided an opportunity for us to meet healthy people, strong people, God is always interceding for us. We have opportunities left and right to, to make good choices, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to make good decisions, to help others make those good decisions too. And we have the opportunity to intervene in the lives of people who have not seen the kindness of God. As, as Christians, remember, I told you, that young man was adopted by Christians and abused severely by them. Christians, the church has not always been the best witness of the kindness and love and mercy and acceptance of Jesus Christ. And sometimes the church has hurt people. And I think that we have wonderful opportunities to go beyond like the church and into relationship with individuals and show them that we too, I am in process. I am growing in my faith. I am maturing in my spirituality. I am maturing in the decisions that I make. I cannot be judged by the decisions that I made years ago. You see, God himself sees fit only to judge man once, and that's the end of his days. And I find that brilliant and overwhelming. And, and I'm in awe of that, that God, God himself sees fit to judge man once. Because in all of our lives, from the beginning, the first breath to the last breath, at any time, we can call out to God and ask for forgiveness. 
and to be in relationship with him. And I think it's a beautiful thing that the church can go and have relationships with people that need to know the love and the acceptance of Christ and that, yes, we are all broken and it's messy and we hurt one another, but God is there. And the more mature we become in our theology, the more we can see that he's interceding for us. Life can be really difficult. Some more than others. Some experience deeper pain than others. We don't know what somebody's gone through. In my line of work, in my call of ministry, I've realized, like, I don't know where somebody's at when they're yelling and angry and just full of wrath. And I, I don't see fit to judge them anymore. Well, I get angry. Yeah, sometimes people push my buttons, and I get angry, and I make poor decisions. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. You can ask my kids later if you'd like, and my wife, and my staff members. But I think the beauty in this psalm is that the psalmist goes from a very me state to a what's happening in the world state. And then he says, arise. You see, you and I, we have to deal with our issues. We have to deal with our problems. We have to deal with the decisions we make. But no matter what, somebody's gone through something more. And in that, but by the grace of God, I'm to be the hands and feet of Jesus as you are. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. And then he says something here that's interesting. Break the arm of the wicked man. You know, sometimes you just want, you want justice. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desires of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortal will never again strike terror. You see, sometimes we need to switch our focus from what's happening now to what has happened throughout. God is always there. The people of God are called to care and protect. You see, God is present, and we should be present. And in some people's lives, God is present because we are present. In some people's lives, God is just because we are bringing justice. We are serving those that have been afflicted by injustice. You see, God is true because we are bringing truth to someone who has heard nothing but lies we are bringing the truth of the gospel. We are bringing the justice of the gospel. We are bringing the love and the kindness and the forgiveness and the acceptance of the gospel message to those that have been afflicted by the wicked. And because we are doing that, God is present, always has been, but his presence is felt even deeper and stronger because there is another human being with us who understands, maybe not deeply, 
personal, but understands what it feels like to feel lost and isolated and unseen. It's when somebody cries out for help, God is there, and the people of God ought to sweep in and be the hands and feet. So I, I want to challenge you today. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe, maybe you're frustrated at situations and, and your life circumstances. You're not really that happy about it. But when, as a psalmist does, like, this world is broken. I realize that. And you know what, God? You're there. God, thank you. Arise. Help. Help me to help. Help others to help me. And let us be stronger together as a fellowship, as a body of Christ. You know, at this time, I just want you to reflect a little bit. I'm sure there'll be people that come up to the front to pray. We do that at this church. There'll be opportunity for you to take the communion. And, And if you know somebody that's struggling in their relationship with God, ask the Holy Spirit if you should go to them, intercede for them. If you need somebody to intercede for you, come up and receive prayer. And also, ask somebody to help. Talk about it. Isolation. I mean, we just went through a pandemic where so many people are isolated and mental health issues are higher than they've ever been before. And loneliness We need the body of Christ to be the body, to be the hands and feet, to go out and do the things that we're commanded to do and to just be good neighbors and good friends. And just pray. Just sing a psalm out to God. Whatever's on your heart. You need to move to the front for prayer, do that. If you need to turn to your neighbor for prayer, do that. If you need to text somebody, don't call them right now, but if you take text somebody and ask prayer or prayer for somebody, do that. But move. Take a, take a moment to move closer to where God wants you to be. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to share today, for challenging me. I pray that you have allowed your word to fall upon open hearts and minds. I pray that we have received it, that we would not just put aside what we're feeling now, but that we would act upon it. And Jesus, as we pray, I pray that you would guide us with the voice of your Holy Spirit, helping us to know what we should do next. In Jesus' name. I pray that God will bring redemption in your life and through you, redemption in the lives of others so that we can all point to God and say, God, you're always here. And this time, let's do the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And may you turn your face to others and offer them peace as well. In Jesus' name, I pray that you'll have a good rest of this day. I pray that you'll fellowship with one another and point to God and show others that he is a just and true and present God.